Hey everyone, on today's episode, Chase and I go through a little a President Uchtdorf recap. I received a text message from a, a friend of mine who uh, describes herself as a uh, left-leaning member of the church, and she uh, shot me a text message that kind of detailed her thoughts on everything, which I welcomed very much. I was really glad to actually see that and get some other viewpoints on that, so I read it on this podcast and we kind of discuss it and go through some things and it inspires a little bit more conversation in that regard. And then from there, I go into something that I've heard of called the girl code, which I think is really ridiculous. And I go in there and kind of talk about why I think it's ridiculous and what it really does ultimately for us and what it doesn't do and things like that. And then, you know, we get into other shenanigans per usual and we finish this up by doing a BYU recap, uh, kind of in the tournament, March Madness, who they lost to, and kind of what we think March Madness will turn into. That's near the end of the episode. Uh, When it comes to next episode, this Thursday, I'm actually going to go into some detail about the car accident that I got into in Mexico, and just kind of the thoughts that I've had and how I've been able to think about that and ruminate over everything that transpired. It was a great trip. It was really fun, but I think it might be uh, interesting to hear kind of that experience itself and for me to kind of go through the details and whatever else comes to mind. And um, I'll probably keep that one pretty short, but it will be a little bit nice for a lot of people that are close to me to hear kind of how that went. Anyway, uh, thanks again for tuning in. Please, by all means, give me feedback or whatever that you think to help make this better or improve it. And uh, I really hope you enjoy this episode. That's one of my lyrics in the song. There couldn't be a, a prouder older brother than Carlino, me. a bounce to Haas. Haas posting up short corner right to the middle. Fades away. Got yeah! Got to watch the three. When you do what's right on and off the field, uh, I, I think the Lord steps in and, and uh, plays, a, you know, plays a part in that. Magic happens. Chase, it's been a wild week in a few ways, but we're back at it once again. How are you feeling about your bracket? Mostly bad ways. <laughs> March Madness is here, and boy, is it mad. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. When your team makes the tournament and they lose, it kind of just takes the fun out of the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would agree with that for the most part. I mean, I'm not much of a. I, I didn't watch college basketball prior to March Madness, so the only thing that keeps me watching is just to see like how my bracket's doing, and my bracket's already toast. So, I don't know. I don't really care anymore. I mean, I I kind of had two teams in there, obviously BYU, and then the other being Texas Tech, and then they lost a bad one yesterday on a missed layup, and then from there, I'm not even like I don't really care anymore. I picked Gonzaga to win it all. I picked them to beat Michigan. They're both still in it. Three out of my four Final Four teams are still in. But those same three are the only ones that are left in the Elite Eight. <laughs> so it's not looking good for me at all. I don't know. Yeah, the, to me, the most interesting part of this tournament is watching the tale of two conferences where you have the media darling Big Ten, who no one could shut up about how dominant the Big Ten was, just completely embarrassed themselves. Uh, all their top seeds basically going down, other than I think Michigan's their only top seed left. And uh, and then on the other hand, you have the Pac-12, who we've all been laughing at for the last decade for being mediocre in football and basketball, completely dominating the field right now. So 
It's kind of kind of funny to watch, even though I typically root against the Pac-12. Part of me kind of enjoys the East Coast bias being being uh, made to look stupid. So I guess you just got to look at it glass half full. Yeah, and and we'll get to that here later on in the podcast. Actually, what I really wanted to start with more than anything was a follow up because um, there was we we talked about President Uchtdorf our last podcast and it had. Um, caused a bunch of conversation uh in my own circles i don't know about yours but um you don't really share this podcast with anyone so i guess probably nobody ever talked to you about it but um i I did want to address it because i actually got a really interesting text messages from somebody that i will not name on the podcast because i don't have their permission but um i responded and they didn't actually follow back I, i think she will follow up i don't know it's been almost a week at this point but um, I wanted to share it. I asked if I could have her permission to share it, which I actually te- technically don't need as long as I keep all identifying factors of of who they are. Um, I well, I already identified that it was a woman, <laughs> but that's it. Um, other than that, there are going to be no other unique identifiers of this person, and um, I think from there it's still legal to share this. So anyway, moving forward. They are a self-described, like, left-leaning, or I guess liberal-leaning member of the church. So anyway, this is what she had to say. I listened to your podcast, and I thought I'd contribute my thoughts to the idea of being as your liberal friend. And then she said in parentheses, I don't consider myself a Democrat, but I lean left. First, I think it's important to note that there are way more Democratic Mormons than you might think. That's probably fair. I don't know how many I think there are, quite frankly, but there, there probably are more than I even think, like more than half of my Mormon friends are Democrats. We're really not this tiny fringe group. I don't know if I ever implied that they are, but maybe I did. I don't know. Anyway, she said, I know Chase didn't want us forcing our wokeness, in quotes, haha, but representation and leadership matters. I had Republican friends make really crappy accusations about the state of my soul and my standing in the church because I was voting for Biden. A lot of Mormon liberals feel like Mormon Republicans talk about us like we're baby murderers. So it was nice to feel represented by one of the most beloved apostles for a lot of us. It was an uplifting piece of news. For a lot of us, it was an uplifting piece of news. I said that wrong. I have strong reasons to suspect that at least four of the apostles are actually Democrats. I have strong reasons to suspect that as well, for the record. Um, And then she kind of finished it up by saying, Lastly, I like to share with my Republican friends why they shouldn't be worried for my soul because of my liberalness. Not trying to convince you to trade teams, just think it's important that we understand each other. For me, the Republican Party ignores the Christ-like qualities that are most important to me, which is why I left the party five years ago. They're Christian, in quotes, if you're gay or woman who wants an abortion. But if you're a refugee fleeing violence, uh, there's no room left in this this inn. That, and side note, that seems like a generalization to me. Now, granted, I get that the Republican Party tends to be anti-immigration for the most part, certainly anti-legal or illegal immigration. And then there was the whole issue with the refugees. And Uchtdorf had that great talk about letting the refugees come to our country. And I actually think that swayed a lot of the church. Anyway, that's my side note. So I do think that's an overgeneralization on her part. But And if you're poor or needy, they'll label you lazy and entitled to feel okay about not wanting to help you, which I think, another side note, is an oversimplification. Anyway, but I don't want to get into that right now. And above all else, the one thing, this is her again, and above all else, the one thing that really matters is how we treat other people. 
Donald Trump treated people disgustingly, and the Republican Party looked the other way, so long as he kept taxes low. So does the Republican Party oppose abortion and want to maintain traditional gender and family roles? Sure. Those parts of Christianity aren't most important to me. At the end of the segment, you asked for your thoughts, huh? So I thought, it, you know, be careful what you wish for. That's fine. I love it. Like, I'm all about it. Please give me your thoughts. I, and she's like, hope my tone doesn't get lost via text. I know her tone. I've spoken to her many times, and I know this is not accusatory, vindictive, or anything. Um, she's great. She's easy to talk to. She thinks about her opinions. Uh, or sorry, her opinions are very well thought out, is what I mean to say. And she really, the things that she believes in, she has a reason to believe in them. And so I can appreciate that, and I understand all that, too. And and that's why I like to have these conversations. Anyway, um, she even had a good point here. She said, just sharing a different perspective, because I think we all learn to be more Christ-like if we understand each other. I think she's absolutely right about that. Um, and she's like, I listened to the whole segment to understand where you're coming from. So anyway, um, so this is what I said back. I said, this is great feedback. I was like, thank you for taking the time. Seriously, and I said, with your permission, I'd like to use this in my podcast, keeping you anonymous. And she never responded, but from a legal standpoint, I think I'm okay. <laughs> so we're, we're all right with that. I, like I said, I'm not identifying her at all, so it's fine. Anyway, um, and I said, I'd actually love to get her on the podcast. And I was like, we could hash out some like liberal-leaning members of the church versus conservative members of the church or whatever, something like that. But then I said this. I said, and lastly, as a registered Republican— and on behalf of your friends that are scared for your soul, I think they're missing the point. And they've reduced liberalism to straight evilness. Is that really a word? I don't know. As you said, we clearly see the world differently, and that's not just okay, it's necessary. I think it becomes a combination of how we see the world and which Christ-like attributes we try to espouse the most. A hierarchy of sorts. I put in parentheses. But maybe that's something we could save for the podcast. Anyway, so thanks for your feedback. Hope you're doing well. Um, haven't heard from her. Hope I do soon again, um, because I do think it's valuable. Anyway, what did you think about that feedback? I mean, I'm I'm all for open discussion and you know finding ways to. Uh, I, I'm I'm all for diversity of thought. I guess uh, unlike unlike the party that this girl represents, I'm for free speech and I'm for uh, not you know canceling people for their opinions. So, so Which, um, in her, in her I, defense, that's an overgeneralization by you as well. I mean, sure, exactly, yeah, yeah. That, you can't. That's what I'm I, for, I don't. I don't. I, knowing her. And she doesn't even claim it as her party. She does say she's liberal-leaning, for whatever that's worth. But um, I don't know if she's a registered Democrat. But I can guarantee you she is not anti-free speech. I promise you that. Yeah. Well, I, I have noticed a trend lately of people that seem to support exclusively Democrat policies, and yet they insist on calling themselves a moderate. Um, that, that, that tends to be a common theme. I, I kind of... Like, I'm not I'm not accusing this. I don't even I don't know this girl's of politics or what she shares on social media or anything. But I, I almost respect it more when someone just acknowledges like, yeah, I'm a liberal rather than kind of trying to pretend to be a centrist or a moderate while deep down being a liberal. I'm not saying that's her, but I've noticed that trend quite a bit. Um, and to, to her point that uh, Democrat Mormons are not some small fringe group, I would put the number at about 25 percent maybe 30% and, uh, and maybe a little higher among young people, but overall probably about 25, 30%. Obviously I'm just ballparking those numbers based on anecdotal and just a feel of, of it. But, um, uh, I, I will say this, um, that it's, I'm only what I'm 33 years old. 
I've noticed in the last 10 to 15 years of my life that most, or I'd say the majority over half of my friends that I've watched go to the left, they end up leaving the church. And, and by I've, that, you I've really mean liberal, that, right? Because there is a difference between yeah, leftism yeah. And, and that's why I like saying Uchtdorf is a lefty was probably a bit extreme. I'll even admit that. Yeah. Um, there is a difference between liberalism and leftism. Leftism is is pretty dang progressive to the point where it gets very scary. A lot of people use those interchangeably, but I do think there is a distinction between the two that is worth stating. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I've said it. I've said this a couple of times that the only difference between a leftist Mormon and an and an ex-Mormon is time. And I know that's going to piss probably this girl who's listening, who you talk to, that's going to piss her off. But that trend seems to prove true over and over again. Now, I think there is room. Obviously, Uchtdorf is a Democrat and he's a he's a like a stalwart Mormon, like at the top of the church, obviously an apostle, an amazing man, a very great person. And he seems to be a Democrat. So obviously there's room for that. But I think it's a harder line to toe. So. I don't know. I mean, I, I appreciate her thoughts. I, I don't really have much more to say beyond that without knowing the context of where it all comes from. But Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, <clears throat> I just, uh, yeah, I, I don't really have much more to say besides the fact that I, I wish we, she and I could have more of a like regular conversation on these things. I'd love for her to come on and we can talk about it more directly, but... I, she'd probably well it's awkward that she didn't re- she didn't respond to your request after um that. in my experience she's not the best texter uh yeah yeah i mean i've texted her about other things and um she doesn't she's not very quick to get back i think she's really busy really busy in her respective uh occupation which is fine that's fine i, I don't enough. take that personally at all um and I think there's still a good chance eventually she does get back to me. If not, whatever, it's fine. She and I pick up where we left off pretty quickly. Like, if I saw her at a party, like, we'd be able to hash it out and talk, and it'd be great. But, um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just thought that was, I thought that was interesting. I, I appreciate her viewpoints. I think she brings up a really interesting point, essentially, at least what I extracted from her comment, which was that really what it boils down to is if we're all trying to be christ-like it just comes down to the hierarchy of which christ-like attributes we we hold you know how it because they're going to fall in a certain order which ones we think are most important and then from there and and and, oh you go ahead i'll finish i'll I'll go after you i was just gonna say from there you kind of determine what policies are like what you think is important about society as she had stated right because apparently like she thinks there's like some hypocrisy on the republican side of the aisle when they call themselves christ-like because they believe that they're pro they're you know they're pro-life and they don't believe in um murdering babies as she stated by the way which i think what she was kind of um applying that label that they say like it was as if she was speaking from the republican side of the aisle she didn't actually refer to herself as a baby murderer, obviously. But anyway, um, the, it just comes to the hierarchy, right, and how we see that. So if people are going to have different hierarchies, there's a very good chance they have, like, downstream, they have a different view of the world and different view of policies. I'm not sure what that means long term because at the end of the day, I think if we just adhere to the first two great commandments, which is love our... Um, you know, love our Lord and Savior with all our heart, as well as our neighbors being the second great commandment, then I think we can't really go wrong with that. And I do think that gets lost on both sides very easily. 
anyway, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say that, you know, I think we all have to be careful not to, and I've said this on the podcast before, but not, not to associate our political leanings too much with how much, with our, with our attempt to follow Christ. And at the end of the day, these politics are all kind of corrupt and both parties have all kinds of ulterior motives for the things they do. And to, to base too much of our identity on those political parties is kind of stupid in the first place. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the most important thing is how you identify yourself from a religious standpoint because that, I mean, I, I think we should all try and at least identify how, like, what our number one definition of each of us is, whether that be tied to religion or even politics, I guess, or your social status or how it, whatever it may be and and make that kind of what informs the way you act and the way you are as opposed to having some weird ambiguous relationship with politics and religion because there's a lot of people that get lost in the fight itself well i guess speaking of being christ-like now's a good time to announce that as of about two or three minutes ago my gambling days are over um i the the funds that I had in my DraftKings account, I spent most of them on the big game for BYU. I kind of planned on whoever BYU was going to play, I was going to make a big bet on the Cougs winning. And, of course, they failed me, as they always do. And I had about 10 bucks left over in my account, and I decided to put the parlay of all parlays on tonight's games. And the first part of that parlay was uh, LSU beating Michigan, which did not occur. Um, and that will uh, effectively end my gambling days because I refuse to take out more money. And uh, so uh, one Christ-like attribute of mine um, has been renewed in my commitment to not gamble. So I would find the catalyst of that renewal somewhat questionable, but <laughs> I guess maybe that must not be me, for me to judge per se, but I, here I am judging you regardless. Um, and I, I guess welcome back. That's <laughs> all I <Yeah>. can do. <laughs> well, I, I'm only I'm only obeying some of the commandments now because uh, I was working the other day um, in the ICU with a with a colleague who happens to be Mormon, and uh, he's a pretty good kid uh, and, and probably a more uh, you know I guess uh, ideal Mormon um, that, as opposed to myself. And he uh, so what happened was the attending physician who was working in the ICU that day, they offered to buy lunch for all the uh, residents working that day. And so obviously I said yes, because who wouldn't? And uh, the, I noticed that this kid was hesitant to uh, make his order. And uh, so I kind of probed about it. And I guess he, he, he wasn't doing it because he felt like it would be breaking the Sabbath to, to uh, purchase food on Sunday. Now, I, I don't want to... I want to be careful criticizing this because I do think our generation specifically has kind of blown off the whole Sabbath commandment on a level that I'm a little bit uncomfortable with. Um, it seems like a lot of people are totally comfortable just, you know, treating it like any other day with pretty much no distinction other than going to church that day. Please give and me I think details. that's a dangerous road. I'm curious about, about what happened or well, just kind of how you th specifically think that they've basically redefined the Sabbath day people in our generation well, no, i just i i i feel like you look at the older generation and like i feel like 
our parents, or at least, you know, in my experience, the older generation grew up in households where they wouldn't even turn on the TV on Sundays. They wouldn't go do anything. They basically, it was church and you stay home and basically do church related stuff. And I think that's extreme, but I feel like people our age, you know, are more than happy to go out to eat regularly on Sundays and just go out and, you know, treat it like any other day, essentially. And I'm not, I'm not trying to like chastise all these people that do that. Cause I've participated in that to a degree. I don't think as much as a lot of people, but you know, so I don't want to get on this kid's case for being kind of weird about not taking a free lunch on a Sunday. Um, but it was a little bit weird and it was at the point where it's like, okay, man, like, cause they, they kind of asked him about it too. And he cited religious reasons without getting too much into it. And it's like, there comes a point where sometimes it's like, you don't want to, you don't want to make everyone think Mormons are all like uptight weirdos. Uh, I get it. Like, okay, you're not going to, you're not going to like bend the rules of drinking for that. You're not going to bend some of the other rules, but I feel like something like someone offering you a free lunch and you turning it down can be kind of an insult to a degree. And so I was, I wasn't a big fan of that, but at the same time, I I do respect that he's principled enough to, to reject that. But I, I I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on Sabbath day observance and going out to eat and stuff like that? Well, first off, I think it's important to note that your exposure to this kind of, you say this like kind of new growing movement in a sense of redefining the sabbath day is essentially around a bunch of single mormons our age so that's a very distinct group i wouldn't say that that's necessarily representative of everybody our age because there could be plenty that are married that do take it seriously or have kids that do take it seriously which i think is probably the easiest difference to point to i think those that are in families that are still active a lot of it probably is based on the idea that they're trying to set an example for their kids. And so when they do that, they, there's a little bit more buckling down. I'm not saying that if they didn't have kids, they'd just be they'd be just as debaucherous as the rest of us. No, I'm not making that accusation. But I do think at least kids, that's why it is important to have families. I think kids kind of keep you anchored and tethered to what's you know most important in life, which is you know trying your best to be as Christ-like as possible. But I think really to answer your question, which I don't really have a firm answer for, is what would Christ do in that situation? And I think we could make all sorts of, you know, uh, hypotheses about that. One that stands out to me is that basically the difference between zeal and overzealous, what this kid that you're referencing may have done may have come across as a little bit overzealous, like he was trying to, like, differentiate himself from them and i don't think christ ever did that i don't think christ ever tried to make himself like kind of separate himself from the from the group that he was in that he was immersed in but he also didn't that didn't mean he was also participating readily with everything they did either and so i think maybe his response would be i'm okay i appreciate you offering but i'm good i you know i'm i'm I'm, i don't know i don't know if you have to give a reason or not but part of me thinks that if he would have just said you know, I'm good, but thanks for offering. And it would have been that. I don't, unless the guy presses him and is like, why not? Why, like, that's weird. Why aren't you eating lunch <laughs> with us? Then, then I guess at that point, it's kind of you're on you to be like, you know, I, I don't tend to do this on Sundays. Sorry. I just kind of, it's just something that I've kind of grown accustomed to. Like, there are ways of explaining that without coming across as like, oh, for religious reasons. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> not to kid, not to say that this kid sounded as hoity toity as I made him sound, but actually, yeah, he kind of, he kind of does sound like that, to be honest. Yeah, well, in my experience, 
those types tend to be a little bit overzealous in their approach, right? So we know what happens with those yeah. that are overzealous. You have a guy like Zenith in the Book of Mormon who raises somebody like King Noah. And we can see how problematic that can be for no matter what, even if you're part of the church. So anyway. Well, well, the funny part about it is those guys all knew I was Mormon too. <laughs> so it's like, well, this guy's eating the sandwich. Why don't you get a sandwich? Yeah. Uh, in, in, my, in my own mindset, uh, I probably would have done exactly what you did, which is I'm at work, which is already some people would question. I mean, I guess that kid was too, but in his mind, he's saying, well, this is a profession that needs to be at work every day and there are no real days off. And so I'm just going to do at least the, the least amount that I can while still keeping the Sabbath day holy or something. I don't know what his mindset was. So for me, I would have been like kind of the sort of like the oxes in the mire. So if I'm at work and I didn't bring a lunch, yeah, I will readily accept that, especially since the deed is already being done to a degree. I don't know. I personally wouldn't think that you'd lose the spirit uh, or whatever he th- thought would be p- compromised in that moment, but that's just me. Maybe I'm the one that's going to hell and he's not. I, it's very possible. Yeah. You know, and I don't mean to clown him too hard. I mean, I, I just thought it was an f- interesting conversation. It just kind of made me think, and I was like, oh, wow. Like I, There are some Mormons out there that are pretty hardcore compared to me. Oh, there's so. no question about that, that it definitely is an interesting conversation. Um, one thing – I wanted to bring up really quickly was this girl code. Have you heard about the girl code? I don't. I'm I'm missing out on this one. Excuse me for how random this sounds, but it's been on my mind a few times because apparently there's this code among females that if you date somebody that's in a group, you immediately are not basically allowed to date any of her friends. Now, friends, there are varying degrees of definition to that, right? There can be friends, friend, girls that you're friendly with or whatever, but if they're kind of in their in-group, they're off limits, which I think is insane. I think the way I look at it, dating is already so hard enough as it is. Why would you impose more regulations on it to make it even harder? Because there are so many stories where people are like, oh, you know what? It's funny. We actually met because I was dating her roommate. Or her one of her friends, and that's how we met, and then it worked out, and we got married, and we have kids now. Like, there are so many stories like that, like it, beyond significance. Like, we're not just talking about like how there's like a small percentage of where this has happened. Like, no, I have heard countless stories of how people meet. Like, right, that classic line in Hitch: "You can't how you meet, you can't help how you meet somebody." Now, that happens to be derived from a terrible example of that, but there's a lot of truth in that statement. You really can't help how you meet people. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out with that person, that doesn't mean it shouldn't work out for everybody else that you've met through that person. I think when you do that, you're handcuffing yourself, and it's ridiculous. Honestly, the whole idea is toxic. I think it's insane, and I don't understand where it comes from. Is it like it's this vindictiveness where they're just like, don't like, don't you dare? Or like maybe there is kind of this, yeah, sure, you can, but at the end of the day, like we're also going to blacklist you and we're not going to ask you to hang out with us anymore. So that's why some other girls might be hesitant if their friend dated some other guy. And I just, I'm like, I don't, have you never heard that? No, I've, I've, I didn't know it was the girl code, but I've heard of, I've definitely heard of a lot of drama surrounding this particular issue. And yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this is just an example of how women's brains and our brains are extremely different because, I've had situations, I know this isn't the exact same scenario, but I've had situations where I've dated a girl and 
it wasn't working out one way or another, whether there was a mutual lack of interest or I just wasn't feeling it anymore. And I've given that girl's number to other friends to take out. And so and that's like even a more personal level. That's not like that. That's like taking it a step further beyond the girl code. And uh, so for, I, I can't relate to that very well. Um, and I, I think maybe some of it stems from like between men like we we know that like there's there's a kind of a check and balance between men when it comes to trespasses among ourselves that we know that if we go too far that you're always risking some kind of physical conflict and with women it's a little bit more obscure on how they i guess that the the what the the check and balance between women and how they resolve their conflicts it's more like with men it's the it's the risk of physical conflict with women it's more the risk of reputation destruction and they tend to, you know, be more involved with gossip and and ruining reputations, and I think that's a bigger threat because it, you're you don't have as much control over over that threat as opposed to men who you have control over how a fight goes down. So, uh, so I've definitely seen it exist among men. There's no question there have been men that have been petty and they've been like, "Bro, what are you doing dating my girl?" or whatever, right? Like where it's crazy. And it's stupid. It's just as dumb. I've definitely seen that. And I've seen it plenty of times as well. But I've never heard of there being like this. Like, granted, there's the whole idea of the bro code, so to speak. But, like, I don't think I, there's never a guy that I've met that has actually taken that seriously, personally. Now, maybe that's just because of who I tend to send my, surround myself with. But, like, the bro code, like, is more of a joke. Like, it's it's more used more as a parody of how guys should act like I got your back, bro. Even if it means throwing my girl under the bus or whatever it might be. Um, it's yeah. really not real, but I've seen this girl code. Well, okay. It's not real to a degree. Cause I've definitely seen it happen where guys do are like, like they're just like, they get all ticked off because one of their buddies dates, one of their exes that's happened to me. One of my good buddies dated a girl that I dated. Like the reason why they knew each other was through me. And, um, he had shot me a text and he's like, Hey man, just FYI. Like, you know, I've been seeing this girl that you know, obviously, and just want to let you know that it's kind of turning into something. And I was like, well, you know, like, let's talk about it. Like, it's fine. Like, we can kind of hash it out, but I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, we're done, bro. Like, how dare you? Because what if they would have gotten married? <laughs> like, if they would have gotten married and it worked out, like, I become so meaningless in the grand scheme of this girl's life. Like, I was just another guy she dated, and this guy was potentially her husband. So why would I ever try and preclude her from reaching that point in her life? Um, and if anything, the fact that the reason why they met was through me, like, that's kind of cool. Like, I think I think to play a role in, in somebody's marriage is also kind of a nice little bonus to be like, yeah, you know, I helped set that up. And to be less vindictive about it was is all the better in my mind. Yeah, and I, obviously there's some context. I mean – if, if it's a situation where a girl breaks your heart and you're still suffering from that and then your friend goes and dates her, that's a little bit different, obviously, as opposed to if you dumped her over, there was some kind of mutual parting of ways. Um, that's an entirely different situation than, you know, you're still crying yourself to sleep at night and then your friend's <laughs> making out with a girl <laughs> that broke your heart. Well, but, if, you're, uh, if you're crying but, yourself to sleep every night, then yeah, you're kind of a loser. You've got bigger yeah. issues. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, you know, but I, I think we mostly agree there, but I think there's certainly context that could make that an interesting debate. For sure. Anyway, I wanted to bring that up because it seems like some 
growing phenomenon, so to speak. And it's just like, why, why do we insist on making dating harder for all of us? But anyway, I wanted to move on from that and kind of start closing things up here. And with that, of course, that comes the inevitable BYU basketball update. Um, so BYU lost in the first round. Like it wasn't pretty. We were losing the whole game and it looked like we were never really that close. We did get within like four or five at one point in the second half and things seemed to be turning around a little bit, but we really never got to the point where we caught our stride. Um, and it was very disappointing. We were obviously the favored team. Um, I initially was probably a little bit hard on BYU, I'll admit. I had made uh, an accusation, or I guess a supposition is a better way of talking about it. I said maybe we were too concerned about going viral than we were about preparing and winning games. And uh, one, of, uh, one of our mutual friends, he's a really good friend of mine, fired back, and he doesn't normally do this. It was actually kind of funny <laughs> to see this because I could tell I definitely hit a nerve with him. And he just says, nope, that wasn't it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I saw that. And I just said, oh, sure, yeah, that's impossible. <laughs> just kind of like saying, like, to readily dismiss it, I thought was like kind of like, come on, man. I mean, like, I get it. I'm being hard on him. Like, I, I get that I'm like being negative over here about my team. But to dismiss that idea, I think it's an interesting idea to bring up. Now, with that said, even I'll admit I was being a little bit hard on them, especially since one of the reasons why they went viral was actually not something that they tried to do for fame or whatever, right? Some of the, One of the guys got stuck in an elevator and they were recording it and it was more funny than anything. They broke him out. Like, that was hilarious. And it's like, what else are you going to do in that situation? They obviously weren't trying to go viral. But the other one being how, like, hyped they were to take their COVID tests and, like, they made House of Highlights on both of them, and like a lot of people were tweeting about both experiences. And so BYU was in the news a lot for other reasons, or for reasons other than actual basketball. And so immediately I looked at that, and I'm like, why didn't we spend more time preparing for UCLA than going viral? So like I said, they weren't trying to go viral. It was a little bit weird that they were super hyped for the COVID test, and it's kind of like, I'm not sure what they're trying to prove here. Whatever. Sure, it's kind of still fun. But then you look at how unprepared we came to at UCLA and it's like what the freak and then we in the second half there were like zero adjustments made it seemed like like we did kind of start to buckle down on one of their guys that was just hot on fire but it wasn't enough and I honestly think it goes back to that Pepperdine game if you remember I think Pepperdine set the exact blueprint to beat us which is be be just like just unstoppable on perimeter defense just like really go at them like right at half court like they're already picking guys up because they're quick and they knew they could keep up with us and just be in our guys' faces the whole time wreak havoc on the outside shooting which is obviously our greatest strength and then on the offensive side basically do the exact same thing but offensively where you're just constantly moving setting screens and just cutting 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 because our perimeter defense is a joke we're really not good at perimeter defense and Pepperdine knew that and I think that's exactly what UCLA exploited too. They were just passing and cutting, passing and cutting, and just finding the open guy. And they happened to just be on fire that night because UCLA is generally not that good of a shooting team. But I do think there's a common theme here that we've seen with a lot of BYU's perimeter defenses, and that's that a lot of teams have their best shooting night against us. I'm not kidding. That's that's happened a lot. And so it does make you wonder, like, why aren't we a little bit more prepped to guard the the outside shot? But I don't know. Maybe I'm still being unfair on them. I don't know. What do you think? 
Well, going back to that uh, viral elevator video, I remember there was some clown who responded to the initial tweet like, oh, now we're celebrating destruction of property over here. <laughs> just like, <laughs> yeah, I did get see out that. Of here, that was dude. amazing. <laughs> it's like, talk about hoity-toity. My goodness. <laughs> get out of here, man. But, uh, no, I, I think here's the thing. As we've seen this week, BYU is not the only good team that got surprised by what was supposed to be a lesser team. Uh, it's been happening across the board, and I think a lot of it has to do with all this quarantine bull crap where you have to show up to Indiana like a week in advance, sit in a hotel room and practice for like 30 minutes a day, like that's going to throw you off. And it doesn't help that the WCC tournament was earlier than a lot of the other tournaments. So BYU basically sat there doing nothing for 10 days. UCLA gets this nice tune-up game and a confidence booster beating the favored Michigan State team that everyone said was going to be like the sweet 16 darling of the tournament. And so UCLA gets all this confidence from beating them. They get a tune-up game and it showed in the first half. I mean, the second half, the score was even, but that first half, you could tell BYU was rusty and it's just the, the NCAA tournament. It's the greatest sporting event on planet earth, but there's so much variability. I mean, it's one game basketball is it's the sport where there's the most fluctuation game to game on how you might play like football. It's kind of hard to blame a game on like we had a bad game because there's 22 guys on the field, 22 individual roles. So it's kind of hard to say like one variable, like one guy had a bad game. So we lost, you know, it's football. It's like the better team almost always wins, but basketball, there's just so much variability and you have, two 20 minute halves and it's all about momentum and BYU just didn't find the momentum and they did for a brief moment and they lost it and they never got it back. It's unfortunate because we would have had a clear path to the sweet 16 playing Abilene Christian who I've never heard of in my life. Um, and so it's, it's really a shame. And then who knows what happens after you reach the sweet 16, you get all this confidence and who knows what BYU could have done. And it's, it's kind of sad because it's just the classic what-if BYU scenario. Jimmer's year, you had you know, the Brandon Davies getting kicked off the team. And even with that, we still, had we beaten Florida, you had to beat an 8 seed and an 11 seed to get all the way to the championship game. And then in, in last year, that team was projected to be like a dark horse Final Four team. They never got to play. And then this year, it's like, well, what if we would have gotten by UCLA? Or what if we would have played Michigan State? The Big Ten looks like garbage. Maybe we would have beat them, and then who knows? So it's just the classic what if of being a BYU fan. We saw it in football this year. It's just we never get to taste the fruit. It's always just beyond reach. We're the fat kid with a donut on a string that's just ahead of our reach, and we can never get it. It's just kind of sad. (laughs) What an amazing analogy, man. (laughs) What an amazing analogy. Um, yeah, it does. It seems like that, but I mean, it's easy to look at Pope and kind of just be like, how, like, how did this happen? But, um, I think overall, everybody still loves Pope. I certainly love Pope. Uh, I think he's a fantastic coach. I honestly think this team was overhyped as a whole. Now it's easy to say that now. I, I think more than anything is actually Pope got this team to a level that where they outperformed their real talent. Um, I I really don't think, I still don't think we were like stellar. I really don't. But like some people were saying we could be a dark horse and everything, and I never saw that happening. At the end of the day, I do think 
really what we saw in this team is that the coaching is excellent because Harms isn't that great, quite frankly. He was a big transfer for us, but he's not that good. Like, he's terrible down low offensively. He's not good. His best games were against teams that had terrible down low defense. Um, He does not play big. In fact, he came to BYU to want to learn how to become like a stretch five, which never really never really developed fully, which is unfortunate. Um, he's not going to have a place in the NBA. He will definitely have a place in Europe, and he'll do okay. Um, he'll probably do pretty well in some, some respects because it's just lower-level ball. And um, since he's a lower-level center, maybe he'll actually thrive. I don't know. But Barcelo is great, but he's not enough to be your leader, and I thought that the whole time. And so the way Pope and the staff were able to kind of really play to our strengths says a lot about them and that's actually my biggest takeaway is that I don't blame Pope or the coaching staff at all I really think we kind of outperformed our real talent that's that's my biggest takeaway I would agree I think talent wise we were probably were about a 10 seed this year and we overachieved to a six seed and I think on the flip side UCLA in the Pac-12 across the board was clearly under seeded by two to three seeds apiece I think every Pac-12 team that made the tournament probably is more two or three seeds ahead of where they actually are. So UCLA is probably more like an eight seed, and we're probably more like a 10 seed. And and so, yeah, they're probably a better team than us, and we lost the game. It's just the reality. I actually do have to share a tweet that one of my friends who's a big Utah fan, friend of the show as well, that he tweeted out that I thought was hilarious considering the Pac-12. Obviously, he's a big Utah fan, but he's like – his love for Utah is like my love for BYU. It kind of it's it's contingent to some degree. <laughs> I don't know. I can't necessarily describe the contingencies, but regardless, we're both very jaded about our respective programs. Anyway, this guy tweeted out. It wasn't him, but this is how I saw it. He said, "Pac-12 NCAA tournament records by commissioner pre Larry Scott, probably pretty good. Under Larry Scott, not good. Post Larry Scott, six and zero. It is clear Larry Scott has been the entire reason for the Pac-12's fa- failures as a conference." <laughs> and then he tweeted out and said, "I legit had the same exact thought today, which is hilarious. Like he hated Larry Scott. In fact, he shared an article with me that just like went after Larry Scott one time and how terrible of a commissioner he was. And he really was. The breakdown was." was pretty egregious and how like Larry Scott was spending money and everything. And just, it was, it was pretty irresponsible on his part. It sounded like, but anyway, um, thought that was really funny. And the PAC 12 is give credit where credit is due. They're freaking killing it. Isn't aren't all the teams still, they're in? all still in. I think uh Colorado is going to lose though. Right now they're playing Florida state and they they were down pretty big. So that, Oh, they did yeah. lose. So You're right. No, they lost. Yeah, but everyone else is still in it. Oregon won. Granted, Oregon got a freebie in the first round because they didn't have to play. Um, but UCLA's in the Sweet 16. Oregon State's in the Sweet 16. USC's starting off hot against Kansas right now. Um, and so yeah, a lot of people are thinking USC could go far. Actually, what I'm hearing, a buddy of mine said that today. He said USC is actually pretty legit, which they did beat BYU. I'm not sure how much By that's 30. saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so USC, like we could see them make a real run. That'd be interesting because USC is generally not that good. But isn't the coach of USC the old guy from uh, what was the? It was a Florida, one of the Florida weird Florida schools. It wasn't Florida International, but it was like Florida Gulf Coast, I think. That oh yeah yeah fifteen seed that went to the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, isn't he the coach of USC? You could be right. I I don't I don't follow that stuff closely enough. I'm not sure. Yeah, 
Andy oh, Enfield, nice. coach Florida Gulf Coast. He's so his hire is finally playing dividends, maybe, perhaps. Granted, it could be another OJ Mayo situation. I was told today as well by a friend that their center is probably going to go number one in the draft because he's a pretty dang legit. So, like Mobley or something like that, or yeah, something like that. Anyway, we're getting to the territory where it sounds like we're just pathetic. Like I'm not sure what anyone would care about my opinions on March Madness because my bracket is so garbage. It's probably the worst bracket I've ever filled out. Just you're for probably beating me. You're you're probably beating me. Mine is pretty pretty awful here. Actually, I, I don't know, man. Up right now, since we're on here, I'm a, I'm I'm two hundred and ten. I'm in the forty second. Okay, let's see. I'm in number seven in our pool, and you are. Oh, you're last place. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I should just tell people to tune out for this part of the podcast. Well, um, you'll still be you'll beat me because I have Illinois in there out. So. We'll see, man. I do have my both my teams in the championship are still in it, Gonzaga and yeah. Michigan. So we'll see about that. All right. Well, uh, we'll hit it back again next week and go from there. But anyway, thanks again, Chase, as always. And uh, we'll see you next week. See you football season.